Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Starting Small Music Podcast. I'm your host, Justin McCormick, and today we have a very special guest with us. We have Quinn Stanfill, drummer for Riley Green. You're going to hear Quinn's story of growing up in Alabama and what first got him into music. You'll also hear the story of how he joined Riley Green's band, his favorite song in the set, and his advice to the next generation of musicians. I had a great time talking to Quinn. I hope you guys enjoy the episode, and we'll see you at the end. Just keep a smile on your face and it'll be okay. Try not to be bitter. You gotta do it either way. Keep a smile on your face and it'll be okay. So when life throws a jab, you gotta duck out of the way. How you doing today, Quinn? I'm good, man. I'm good. How are you? I'm doing good. So getting right into your story, where did you grow up and what was your childhood like? Uh, I grew up in Florence, Alabama, Muscle Shoals. Uh, uh, childhood was good, man. Um, uh, relatively, you know, uh, happy. I have a, a little sister. Both my parents were cool. Um, uh, my dad's guitar player uh, got me into playing music really early, so... That's, I mean, that's kind of the, I guess, uh, don't know where it all started, I guess. I don't know. For sure. When you were growing up, what kind of music was getting played around the house that you kind of have vivid memories of that kind of matter what kind of got you into music, you think? Uh, my dad's a big Steely Dan fan, uh, Dan Head, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you know, growing up in the, I think he graduated, I mean, he graduated high school in uh, 76, 77, uh, and was playing bands there or then. So anything from Steely Dan to Doobie Brothers to like Aerosmith and uh, all that type of stuff. All that was regular um, around the house, dinner music, all that stuff. Um, my mom was uh, being into Carole King, James Taylor, um, singer-songwriters like that. Uh, uh, so, Yeah. Yeah, all that time, all that kind of stuff. Now, was your dad kind of having like, was your house the place where they would rehearse at? Like, did you ever have like a bunch of musicians coming over your house growing up? Or yeah, dude, yeah. Uh, uh, he was in a couple different bands. Um, uh, always had a dedicated space, usually in the basement, for anybody to come over. Whether it was his friends when I was growing up, or when I started playing with friends. Uh, I don't know. Our house was always like kind of the incubator, I guess. And uh, uh, funny uh, guy named Quinn Messer uh, plays bass for Brett Eldridge. Uh, he played in a band with my dad when I was like 12, something like that. He was in his mid 20s and uh, ended up on a band or ended up on a bill with Brett, you know, uh, four four years ago maybe and made that connection again that you know two Quins we knew each other when I was a kid but uh yeah that that whole thing I guess we're just friends coming over there's always music around there's always a place to play um uh yeah yeah the opportunity so I, is always there I saw you got a drum set like when you're pretty much a toddler uh was this your parents like did your dad want you to get into drums pretty early and what was the reasoning for wanting to get you into drums and not guitar like him well uh i think guitar was the first direction that was trying not not pushed but presented i guess uh but i was you know i was two and it's really hard 
hard for fine motor skills at two to to get the hang of that stuff. So uh, I think four, my fourth birthday, he got me a drum kit. Um, it's always kind of the running joke. He had a, a, a close friend growing up um, uh, that he fir- formed his first band with. It was just a two piece, uh, him on guitar uh, and a drummer, um, uh, Jim Sandlin, I think. Yeah. Um, uh, but he tragically died in a car wreck uh, in uh, college. And ever since then, he had, you know, growing up, he always told me uh, that was his that was his drummer until I came around. And it was a joke that, you know, he couldn't find a drummer that he liked. So he just made one. And <laughs> here I am, you know. So That's awesome. Now, anyway. would you say that you pr- took drums pretty seriously, like from an early age? Or was it something you kind of grew into once you realized you were good at it? Man. Uh, I'm so, well, to be honest, I'm still struggling with the whole, uh, am I good at it? And there's <laughs> like trying to, trying to evolve all. always. Yeah, <laughs> dude. Yeah. It's the, it's the plight of being a human, I feel like, but, um, um, uh, I latched onto it pretty seriously, pretty early on and was lucky that, you know, not only my parents, but my whole family was really supportive, um, in that, in that aspect, just the being creative. And I was always a quiet kid. And kind of, you know, had had a bunch of friends, but uh, on weekends, after school, stuff like that, um, coming home and playing, you know, uh, uh, was always my go to um, having dreams of, I guess, doing what I do now when I was when I was really little, uh, knowing the importance of uh, knowing the importance of music in my life and how it made me feel. Um, I always took it very serious. Yeah. Sure. What did those first bands look like? Uh, was it in high school that you started kind of playing out in your local area? Uh, yeah, doing my own thing in high school. I grew up in church. Um, uh, I was raised Catholic uh, for the first part of my childhood. And um, uh, in like second grade, first communion, um, my dad was playing guitar every Sunday in mass. And for that, for that mass, that Sunday, uh, worked up a version of a song that I brought my drum kit in, um, and played in front of congregation and stuff. And then for, I think it was second and third grade, uh, uh, we like my dad, my sister and I wrote a couple songs and played them for talent shows and stuff. So like getting in front of people then, uh, uh, we did a production of Jesus Christ Superstar, the musical, the uh, yeah Andrew Weber musical when I was in fourth grade. So we learned all the music there and did a production of that. Um, uh, funny, John Paul White from the Civil Wars, uh, he was the Judas in that play and just like slayed, dude. Is I still think about it now, but uh. Uh, that was the first time, like, actually playing in front of people. The first bands, I guess. Yeah, I was, like, 15, 14, 15, like, 7th, 8th, ninth grade, getting together. Uh, playing, uh, playing like, uh, pop punk, uh, Reliant K, Taking Back Sunday, stuff like that. Um, first band was called Shiloh Rising with some close friends of mine. Yeah. Did you guys do any original material <laughs> at that time, or was it pretty much all covers? Uh it was like, what was it? Maybe 80, 20 split. 
covers to originals. We had a few that few of our own, you know, songs, yeah. but it was mostly it was mostly just emulation and playing. Oh, we were all kind of learning to play. My best friend Justin Murphy, we uh, uh, kind of taught him how to play bass so that he could be in the band, so that we could all play together and do the thing. So. Now, growing up where you grew up at, was there any thoughts of like, I know Muscle Shoals is like a hub for like recording down in the South. Did any of you guys want to like drive up there and like record some of your stuff or you guys were pretty much just playing live? Oh yeah. Yeah. It was always, it was always the, the, I don't know. It's always in the back of your head that it's a, uh, uh, that kind of, there's something in the water kind of place, I guess. There's always been a lot of music around. Like I said, my dad always played um, around town and stuff knew a bunch of people um but growing up it all kind of felt i don't know um uh especially being being younger and the way that i think about myself i was always kind of intimidated by older generations of musicians and just like trying to live up to uh other standards i guess mm -hmm. um around town not only that but the whole recording thing especially growing up in like the uh early 2000s it all kind of i don't know it all gone away it felt like at the point in time um it wasn't until wasn't until like uh, uh black keys came through and recorded brothers in 2009 2010 whenever that came out i think it was 2010 um uh that it kind of like re-put the shoals like on the map as far as like a current recording um uh destination or hub whatever you want to call it yeah um uh the feeling that good things that always happened around town though was there and like i don't know uh, uh it's a it's a music town whether it uh, uh I, don't know. I don't know what the word is like uh uh uh, lifts up facilitates the younger generation of trying to do stuff yeah so. for sure now what's that last year of high school look like for you like were you already planning on moving to nashville when is like the move to nashville kind of start creeping in your head oh man i didn't think about moving to nashville until i got really until uh <laughs> until everything with riley got really serious to be honest with you oh, um, so you met him before you even moved oh yeah dude yeah uh i let's see um Grew up in Florence, went to Florence High until sophomore year. My parents split up. Uh, my mom, my sister, and I moved to Birmingham. So I graduated high school from Vestavia in Birmingham. Um, uh, did a semester at Troy, transferred after, you know, like I got into a really low point of like understanding depression and like a new at a new point in life. Mm -hmm. um, moved back home to Florence with my dad uh uh dropped out eventually kind of dropped out of college twice um from like playing in bands and trying to do that thing regularly you know just like having a bunch of friends and playing with whoever i could um for what was that moved back to florence in 2010 and i think i moved to nashville in 2017 okay wow. so uh it was maybe hmm, yeah, I was 17, 18, something like that. Um, uh, so it was, it was more for the longest time of just like 
not grinding, trying to, I mean, getting out of Florence was the, was the goal. Um, but lack of a better term, the, uh, uh, almost almost nihilistic view of life in your early 20s and like playing a bunch of rock music in dark places and you know um uh, uh nothing matters which means everything matters and this moment right now is all that we have so let's just put everything we have into right now yeah um uh just a very like kind of punk diy mindset um uh so for the longest time, I was just focused on doing whatever I could with my yeah. friends, whether it was uh, surf rock, like psychedelic punk with a band called the Naughty Charlies or like uh, this like, I don't know, Frank Ocean inspired soul rock outfit called Follow Apollo and a bunch of other bands around town. Um, we were all trying to get out and playing as much as we play as much as we could in front of as many people, as many places as we could. Mm-hmm. Um uh moving to nashville is like on down the priority list as far as i was concerned though yeah. for sure yeah. now where do you meet riley in that process i mean you're playing in a bunch of rock bands like is it through one of your college experiences how do you meet riley uh one of my best friends nathan lane one of the best bass players i've ever gotten the privilege to, privilege privilege to play with uh was uh he was a bass player in follow apollo um uh, picking up gigs with uh, uh, a dude named Justin uh, Joseph Baldwin around the shoals. He's uh, been a, a country singer songwriter around here for a long, long time. Or not? Is uh, not a long, long time. It makes him sound old, but like dude's been at it for a minute. You know, like picking up yeah. gigs with him and a couple other bands around town. If they ever needed a drummer, he called me, and yeah. that was the same thing that happened with Riley. Uh, he was playing in Gadsden one night. And I wasn't busy. And uh, he was like, you want to drive three hours, make a couple hundred bucks, play a bunch of country songs. I was like, I've never done that before. And I'm totally down. So that was, yeah, that was the first time um, met Riley that night. And then ever since, you know, it's been kind of been his dude, I guess. Yeah. Now yeah. coming from like playing in I like. I got lucky. <laughs> Coming from playing in like a, a bunch of different rock bands, did you feel any stigma going into the country world? I know some people like are just like, I play rock and like that's that's my lane, you know, or like were you yeah. always open to just trying something like new? Dude, I I love I love all types of music. I'm a bit of an idiot. Um, uh, I could be dense at times. Um, so <laughs> like uh, my knowledge of of music can be, I don't know. Um, uh, I feel like, I don't know, I might be, I might be one of those people that's forgotten more than I know, or might be that perpetual thing. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, but like, I love all types of human expression, man. And like being a part of anything that, uh, uplifts people. I love, I love being a part of something bigger than myself. So like playing with any type of band, playing with any type of whatever I'm, always worked on trying to be the best player I can and be the best person I can servicing whoever I'm playing with, whatever song we're playing, whatever style of music, just trying to be the best version of me that I can be. Yeah. Um, I, I know that like I'm a bit of a caveman drummer and coming into country, knowing that I'm a hard hitter and I like 
interesting stuff you know the history of country music doesn't lend itself much to like really interesting drum parts not to downplay any of the greats that have you know done uh crazy stuff before me or not that I'm, you know what i mean right, um, yeah. uh uh the i mean is really early on the constant comparisons to uh, Tommy Lee. It was like, man, you're the Tommy Lee of, of country music from like really early. So I was like, ah, I'll, I'll take it, man. There might be a stigma, but I'm I'm trying to do my thing, you know, figure the thing out. But I mean, uh, I feel like a lot of the modern country stuff like has that rock influence. I mean, especially in Riley's music too, like oh, there's rock undertones. Like, Absolutely, absolutely. And I feel like, you know, not only uh, not only does the whole um, I don't know, it's it's a it's a group effort always evolving um mm-hmm. leaning in certain directions or uh uh um uh leaning certain directions musically um i guess i got lucky in that you know it kind of uh it's it's fun to play we're in a we're in a point in time that country music like the yeah the heavy factor is kind of you know up a little bit having fun getting rowdy whatever uh, I, I don't know if I'd still be in the country world if, it, if I hadn't, if Riley hadn't have, you know, um, uh, what's the right word? Like not taking me under his wing, but like, you know, understood that I really cared, um, and let me have the voice that I do. Let me play the way that I want to, you know, he's never been one of those, uh, 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 play the parts on the record type of persons like anybody that's ever in the band um anybody we've ever played with it's like you know we're feeling it we're flying by the seat of our pants it's all personality driven yeah. um so yeah i guess uh uh g- made me feel more comfortable about my place in the whole thing well sure yeah now, had riley already gotten his record deal when you moved to town then or was he kind of making some buzz and then you guys all moved up together when you came to nashville uh i think i think uh i moved to nashville maybe half a year maybe a year before he signed mm-hmm. um uh he had already been i don't know not to use the same language over again but like that whole like diy mindset of playing music wherever you can for whoever wants to be there mm-hmm. uh when it comes to pop country again my, my my view of it might be you know rather small but like the way that riley thinks about his music and um uh the way that he goes about having or the way he's built his career is very much uh uh independently driven i guess especially for those first few years mm-hmm. um uh, so there was a lot of buzz we were selling out shows all over the southeast for a minute before any uh, uh, uh record label talks started coming in the mix i guess early seriously signing contracts started coming in the mix um uh so it i don't know we were already really busy when he made that jump to to signing that was i don't know up until that point it was like all right things are very serious and at that point everybody else in the band was based out of nashville and i was the only alabama guy um so 
made made more sense. Moved in with moved into a house with a uh, uh, Tyler Galloway who was playing guitar with him at the time and did for a few years. One of my uh, closest friends and incredible guitar player out of uh, North Carolina. He's living over there now, but um, um, yeah, made the move when shit was or excuse me when stuff was you know blowing up. And so sorry if I swear. I'm trying to. Oh no, keep it. you go for it, man. <laughs> now- <laughs> I did. Right. When uh, you first moved to town, did you feel less pressure to like kind of have to really get out there and network yourself hard since like you already moved to town with a, a band that was making buzz? Or were you still going to like the whiskey jams and stuff like that to meet a bunch of other musicians? Man, uh, I'll be honest. I'm a, I'm very much a homebody mm-hmm. and I, I love I love being around people and playing shows and the community nature of like we're all in this together when it comes to like shows or concerts or functions or anything like that. Um, uh, but when I'm not doing that, I've always been a very, like, uh, I've got to recharge at home. Um, uh, I, I, uh, I, I need to spend time with myself. So, uh, it's been a constant struggle of trying to network more and be better about that. Trying to get out of my own head. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as talking to people and I'm bad at remembering names and I'm good. I'm okay with faces, but like, I don't know, I always, I've been a very self-conscious person for a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, to be on, to be honest, uh, uh, especially when I moved to Nashville, I was like really, uh, I don't know, I'm a, uh, I'm an alcoholic about four years. I'm coming up on four years in recovery and those first, couple of years living in Nashville um my drinking got in the way a lot as far as uh making connections and meeting people mm-hmm. and um a lot of a lot of friendships kind of dissolved or went away because of my own doing I'm not you know doing not, not doing fucked up sh- sh- shit but like uh trying to I don't know trying to numb feelings in my own head yeah. And, uh, uh, yeah, just really got in my own way. So, um, yeah, trying to get better about that has been a constant, uh, constantly in the, in the forefront of my head, yeah. trying to get better about it now. Um, but when I first moved to Nashville and still now, I mean, we're busy all the time, man. And we've been really busy for a long time. Those, those first couple of years living in Nashville, we were doing, and this is 20, 2018 2019 we were doing like 160 dates a year uh so like we're constantly out and then riley's playing like don't know at least 50 percent more on top of that because when he signed the record deal he's doing radio shows in between our you know weekend warrior stuff so it's just like county fairs and uh that summer especially that summer we were um uh, it was like Riley on radio shows every weekday. And then wherever he was during the weekday, we'd be doing like county fair shows. Uh, then Thursday, Friday, Saturday, we were on our first big like main or real tour with uh, Brad Paisley and Chris Lane in 2019. So I was doing that every Thursday, Friday, Saturday, having like a couple days off at most on like Sunday, Monday, but like constantly going grinding um uh yeah 
so that that the whole networking thing and trying to trying to maintain relationships build friendships and everything like that it wasn't the easiest whenever you're just just going and playing everywhere and you know meeting a bunch of people trying to retain as much as you can is is really tough for me and i still have a hard time with it yeah so when you're on the road now what's a song that comes up in the set like every night that like you see coming up that kind of just gets you hype that's like one of your favorites to play night after night oh man um dude i uh I heard, I've, I heard Dave Grohl talk about it a, a, a good bit. Maybe it's coming up on 10 years ago. Um, um, he got asked the same question or maybe touched on it in a keynote speech. I saw him talk at uh, South by Southwest in 2013. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was the, yeah, like the keynote speaker that Sunday. And I think it came up in conversation then. He was talking about my favorite songs to play live um, are the ones that, everybody gets hyped for it's it's bigger than me like i have i have a fun throughout the whole set um no matter what we're playing whether it's new stuff a bunch of old stuff um uh uh you know i have my favorite riley songs but they're usually the deeper cuts like b-sides whatever the the ones that aren't the radio hits at this point in time, playing those radio hits when everybody knows all the words and like even when we were first getting out, like going to the West Coast and like playing the up and comer stage, uh, whatever festival um, and like that front row of people, like for the first time in Washington knows the words to there was this girl or like Georgia time or anything like that, that that gets me really excited, man. Um, not only, not only for, um, uh, just like everybody in the moment and the experience and the crowd, but just like, it's a very together feeling, but like Riley's my boy, dude. And that dude's been trying and going and grinding for a long time. And like seeing that, seeing that like connection between people. Um, with any of the big songs, I I love that so much, man. There was this girl at the end of every set, every night, would, especially the ones like we were in uh, uh, Tucson, Phoenix, New Mexico, uh, uh, Denver, uh, just these past couple weeks. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, yeah, the, the bouncing of the crowd, there was this girl, it just like gets me hype. Uh, get back to the Dave Grohl thing. He said, uh, all my life. He wrote that song in like 97, something like that. I think that's when it came out. Mm-hmm. Um, he's played that at every single show for going on 30 years now. And that's his favorite song because everybody is just amped as shit. And everybody's like in the moment. And we're all, I don't know, not to be a broken record, but like we're all doing this. We're all doing this thing together, man. And that that feeling is the greatest thing ever to me. So totally. Um, I love, uh, per- personally, I like, uh, uh, put them on mine's a fun song to play. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, uh, different round here is, is 
one of my favorite ways to open a set in any band I've been with. Uh, just the, I don't know. I love, I love music that makes you feel like you're floating. And it's kind of, I don't know, uh, that feeling when the set opens up and uh, uh, Riley walks on, the lights come up and everybody's just, you know, just amped and um, uh, you're just like falling into that flow of the set. That's, I mean, I love, I love that feeling. Um, I'm trying to think. Anytime we play new stuff that we haven't played before in front of a bunch of people, mm-hmm. I love that feeling too. That, yeah. You know, um, coming from coming from just like uh, drunken punk shows where like the uh, everybody's flying by the seat of your pants and it's just like, you know, chaos everywhere. And you've never played this song in front of people and you're excited about it. You don't know if, you know, uh, that one guy is going to remember that one part and then he hits it and it gets you like, I love I love that. uh, there was a minute with Riley, you know, for those first few years. Uh, and this is where I was talking about, sorry to get rambly, dude. I don't mean to oh, like, no. th- th- you know, weave in and out of, you know, topics or questions or whatever. But like those first few years, we never practiced. We were playing in front or we were playing shows so often um, and kind of living all over the place. that like anytime that we tried out new stuff or learn new songs or Riley wanted to throw something into a set. We were doing it in front of a bunch of people. Um, uh, and that, I don't know. I've always thought that nervousness and excitement are the same emotion, just different connotations, positive and negative. So like in the same way that you feel nervous, getting ready for some crazy show or you're about to do this thing for the first time. I don't know if you frame it the right way and just like don't know it's easy it's easy to get excited about it in in my in my brain I guess or in when you look at it a certain way and uh uh I love those moments just, when you guys started playing Atlantic City which is I think it's still one you guys throw in a lot is that one that he just threw no. in on the fly too uh it gets thrown in on it uh, it's a special night when he throws it in now. It used yeah. to be regular in the set. Now it's one of those go-tos like, you know, third, fourth song to turn around and say Atlantic City. And yeah. he starts it and we all fall in later. Um, I love, I love playing that song. Oh, yeah. I love being a part, I love being a part of, uh, it might, might be strong language, but I love, I love being a part of that song's history and the things that that song has done and, people that have played that i don't know that love that for sure now i like to close my interviews by asking what's a piece of advice you've learned along your journey that you'd give to the aspiring musicians out there that want to be in your place um be yourself man be confident in yourself um always uh i don't know i'll be 32 this year i still feel like i'm learning myself and trying to be better as a person day to day but I think if you could, if, I don't know, um, finding that razor's edge of being confident in yourself and being who you are and going where you want to go, but also just trying to be better than you were the day before and uh, uh, be aware of yourself. Um, 
down the it, uh, uh, looking for expansion, looking for uh, ways of thinking that you haven't thought before, um, whether it's musically or you know uh, philosophically. Mm -hmm. um, uh, that's that's the main thing. You know, you can chase you can chase trends all you want to, and you can uh, lose your sense of self in if in that way, I guess. Um, but if you if you uh, uh, don't know, embrace your own your embrace your own personality, you embrace your thing. Um, not trying to blow smoke up Riley's ass or anything, but like that's what that guy's done, and that's why he's the place that he's he is or has gotten to the place that he is because he is exactly who he is and has been in front of all these people. And, uh, uh, there's a lot to learn from that. I get a lot from him in that way that I'm trying to be exactly who I am. And that's what I tell anybody to do is do exactly what you, I don't know, be who you are and be comfortable in it. Learn how to be comfortable in it because, uh, it's the personality it's the individual, I don't know, us as, us as individuals bring each other together. It's the, it's the things that make each one of us ourselves that are the most interesting parts about us and that uh, you get the most from, I guess. Well, guys, there you have it. My conversation with Quinn Stanfill. Quinn, thank you again so much for coming on the show. I had a great time talking with you. Everyone, go follow him on Instagram at Earth, Quinn, and Fire. And make sure to come back next week to hear my conversation with hit songwriter Aaron Isos. Check out Starting Small Music on YouTube to see all the video content from our interviews. And also, follow Starting Small Music on Instagram at Starting Small Music and let us know who you'd like to hear on the podcast next. And remember, everyone starts small.